0: to this week's edition of the Master Instructor Roundtable. I am Wendy Batts here with my friend and colleague, Mr. Marty Miller. How are you?
1: Great, Wendy. Thanks for the awesome introduction. Looking forward to hearing from our group this week.
0: Yes, we actually, Marty and I usually go onto the NASM Facebook page, which we're going to discuss in this um, in the very beginning however we do want to say when you guys reach out to us uh, via email if there are a lot of commonalities in some of the emails that we get we respond with hey we're going to put that on one of our master instructor roundtables so for those of you guys that receive that type of response back we're hoping that marty and i can do you justice in answering this because it's the answer if we just typed it out i think would lose a lot of um, i think we would lose a little bit of Detail. I don't know. I like I like actually talking more than than typing. I don't know about Story you, Marty.
1: Storytelling too, right? Storytelling.
0: <laughs> Once upon a time, um, or this one time. Um, so let's let's actually talk about what we're going to talk about. So, um, Marty, you want to go ahead and take us. Absolutely.
1: So as you mentioned already, Wendy, we get a lot of these, um, sometimes from emails and direct messages from people who are following our master director Roundtable. but we are uh, multiple times a week going into our CPT page, our certified personal trainer, private page. So once you get your credential, you can request to be a part of that. And we do interact all the time. There's over 13,200 people in there. Great con conversations. So first, did you know that? Because that is a place you can reach out to all your colleagues and other professionals, as well as us. And then that's kind of the goal is to continue a conversation, continue a dialogue network. And then it gives us a great opportunity to see what a common question or theme of questions may be. And then we'll bring them into here.
0: Yeah, and, and if you're new to NASM and you're just joining the group, I mean, if you look in this search bar feature, Just kind of as a reminder, it is amazing how many conversations we have on specific topics about insurance and well, what if I need to do, you know, what about making an LLC, you know, is that something I should do or, you know, there's just a lot of information or I'm brand new going in for my first interview and Marty and I have done obviously different master instructor roundtables on, you know, what to wear and things, you know, common questions you're going to be asked. And and so I think you're going to be able to find a lot of really good information. And if you don't want to ask, try that search bar first and see if it's already been asked. Because, um you know, to me, there's so much rolling information and we just keep elaborating and going into more and more detail. I think you're going to find a lot more than you think.
1: Yeah, it's a great resource. I enjoy going in there, you know, and seeing where the conversations lead as well. So, As we talked about, it's a great networking platform. We've seen people connect, you know, they're in the same town or when they're going to conferences, you know, and it's definitely a place to have that higher level intellectual conversation with definitely like-minded people. You're gonna grow, you can't help but grow. They're gonna talk about their continued education past. What about this course? Did you guys see this and that? And then it is that open area to continually focus on topics that you wanna ask uh, specific questions on. Indeed,
0: join the page. But this is one that, um, you know, those of you guys that don't uh, do Facebook any longer and all are, about, are all about Instagram, you're the um, the IG guys. Uh, we have, obviously, the NASM Instagram, so it's NASM Fitness. Marty does his uh, coffee talks uh, once a week on those where you guys can try to stump Marty. Ask him any questions that you want. So I'm going to say, make them hard and ask him because he goes into a lot of really great detail, but he's also there to really... Um, clear up any confusion that you may have regarding any of the content that's in the textbook or just if you have a situation that maybe you would like his opinion on. I'm telling you guys that Instagram Live is amazing. Um, And then Marty and I, every other week, we also go on to the NASM Performance channel. So if you guys are not part of both of those or following both, I would strongly suggest it because when we go on to the Performance channel, We talk about various topics and it's called all things performance shocker. So, you know, that's a really good place too for you to hear different content. We're taking a little bit more of a, a, we're diving deeper into more performance, working with coaches, working with, you know, groups and how we work with professional athletes. And then we had a lot of various topics such as, you know, cognitive fitness. Um, That was one of the ones that we were talking about uh, last week. And we're going to be talking about again in more detail so make sure, you know, join NASM Fitness as well as NASM Performance, and you can get even more information.
1: Well said, Wendy. So here we go. Why don't you kick off question one? And Yes. So it. this
0: is actually question one and two, and I received this email from Liv. So Olivia, but she goes, by live if you look at her signature. So I want to say, first of all, thank you for sending this over. And this is a common email that we get, Marty. So I'm going to Tell you what she wrote, and then I want to see your response, and then I'm going to dive in probably right after you. So as trainers, most of us naturally are active. So here's something um, about improving our own fitness that excites and motivates us. What happens when you get a client who not only doesn't really match or vibe with your personality, but who has basically said in the initial assessment, quote, I don't like to work out. What advice do you have for helping them feel more inclined to exercise, but also for us trainers who may feel the extra pressure of wanting to help them adjust and change their mindset?
1: So this is a two part for me because I can look at them differently. Mm -hmm. So when somebody doesn't vibe, that could be a lot of different things. It could be that they're coming late. They're not respectful of your time. They're like, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that. I have fired clients before and they always come back. Right. I'm like, you know, I'd be like, Wendy, I get it. I'm going to have to do an assessment. I'm going to have to do this. This is from an integrity standpoint, what I need to do. I have to follow this. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, OK, fine. Right. So then there's the other part of if they're checking all the boxes, you know, to I know that I'm able to ethically train them and stick within what you know, I feel safe and comfortable with. Then when they like, you know, I don't like working out, that's a challenge to me, right? That that part is different than I won't do certain things that you require. So that's where I'm separating these out into two different categories of people. And Wendy, you know that I study for my doctor how people perceive exercise. Most people don't like working out because they have a fear of it. They've had a bad experience. They think everybody's looking at them. They think only fit people are in the gym. So if I can know that, and there's some open ended questions I can ask, I could say, Hey, Wendy please tell me in your words, why don't you like working out? And then, well, I just don't. Well, can you be more specific? What is, like, you know, I'll try to get the why. And then it's just very easy for me to make sure that they feel safe. Maybe we go into the aerobics room where there's not a lot of people or I don't put them in front of the free weight area. Like that's just more understanding people skills. So that part is the part I like because I'm really trying to dig into why they would think that because exercise has, can be fun. It doesn't have to be painful. It shouldn't be painful. It should be a slow progression. And if I'm doing that part right, which is following the model, I'll get everyone to like exercise at some point, you know, and I have to listen to them. If they don't like being on a treadmill, I come up with a different thing for cardio. So that's the art of training versus the science. But back to the first point, if I'm not vibing with somebody, I've got to ask myself, is it a me thing? Is it a them thing? And as long as I'm able to do my job ethically, that's what matters.
0: Yes. So I'm going to follow, I am going to say 100%. Yes, yes. And yes. But that's also when we have that initial assessment, that's the important part of the subjective portion of the assessment process. It's building the rapport. And there are some people that you may not vibe with and they may think, you know, well, I don't want to balance on this and I don't want to do that. And this isn't what I want to do. I think it's important for you to dive deeper. Well, okay. What is it that you like to do and why? And, you know, and to your point, if if you feel like they're on a totally different level and that they're not going to listen to you and that they're not going to be a good compliant client, then it's only setting you both up for failure. And then you can say, well, listen, you know, my goal is to make you look better, feel better, perform better. This is my process. This is how I do it. It is, you know, something that I feel like I can really help you reach your goal with. However, we have a bunch of other trainers out there that I'm happy to introduce you to. If you feel like you would want to, you know, work with someone else, I think honesty number one is most important because if you can feel it from the very beginning and they have a sour attitude, then it's okay to say, "Listen, this is I, my job is to change your attitude. Meaning, like, let's have a good time, but let's also hit those goals." So I think it's how you approach the situation. And to your point, Marty, when they say I don't like working out, the the why is it? Why? 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 Because you hit all those points, so perfectly, Marty, because a lot of times it was a bad experience. They don't like to work out because they don't know what they're doing. And then it's like, okay, if you find out their why, you can help them change the attitude and then it becomes fun and you can say, well, listen, I don't like to work out either. My job is to change your fitness journey. So we're not really working out. We're actually building a plan, even though, you know, what does working out mean to them? I'm not going to try to make them sore where they can't walk them down the stairs every day. They can't get in and out of the bed. They can't wash their hair cause they can't lift their arms. Mm-hmm. I think that's important to, to make sure you're emphasizing for those people with that attitude.
1: Yep. I, I couldn't agree more. And that's from years of experience. I think <laughs> they're pretty comfortable with this one.
0: Yes. Okay. So Marty, I'm going to read this one to you because, um, Crystal sent this email and I did send Crystal to our random fit, um, podcast that, that Ken Miller and I do because we did one on rucking. So if you guys want to learn more about backpacking and really, um, emphasizing what, you know, people were saying about backpacking and how to make yourself stronger, definitely tune into that again. I know it's a bad plug, but you know what, I'm all about it because this is actually going to piggyback off of that. But, Crystal is a long distance backpacker. Okay. And she's been doing this for anywhere, you know, for a while now, let's just say that and inside her backpack, she has about 15 to 25 pounds and she goes for 15 plus mile hikes. Normally it has never been an issue. However, recently after she began foam rolling her lats to correct her arms falling forward in a squat assessment, she found that after a few miles in her hikes, she's noticing mid like middle back. Her it's starting to ache. So I try to think through what may be happening. Example, maybe my upper traps are suppressed from the backpack, or maybe I inhibited my lats when I shouldn't have. But truth is, is I don't feel confident. I don't know what's happening. Would you please share what may be happening and how I should program to address this in the future? I love this question, by the yeah. way.
1: <laughs> yeah, so we look at fitness and then we look at activity and sport so fitness is the way i'm going to um kind of package it is somebody going through a movement assessment series of assessments medical clearance par cues all that and then systematically training within the opt model should we only feel better should we um, not experience pain and discomfort and injury yeah that should never happen in a structured fitness program but we take a structured fitness program and we know that it will reduce your chances of injury in other sports activities or de- activities of daily living, depending what you're doing. Rucking is not fitness. Rucking is a physical activity, or you could consider it a sport. And the reason I say that, we've said this many times as an athletic trainer and Wendy being you know, a, a hands-on therapist with a background working with athletes, we don't do these activities because they're good for us orthopedically. We do them because we enjoy the competition. We enjoy what it provides us. And it's good for us, maybe cardiovascular and things like that, but no walking up hills with 15 to 25 pounds, which is going to pitch ourselves forward. You are going to potentially think of overuse. It's constantly the same motion over and over and over and over, you know, for a long period of time, you are going to get pattern overload and it is going to put you more into a, um, position, you know, that's not ideal for your posture. So you've got to balance that out. Can I do enough in my fitness program to offset what I'm doing in my physical activity and or sport? And that's the game we play constantly. So I'm going to highly encourage you to keep doing that, but then you have to program around what you're loading into your activity. So that way you can continue to do it. So that's how I view it. I do a lot of cycling now because it's great. I've got a great bike right up here, right outside the door. It's great for cardio. It's convenient, but I'm in a forward flex position. So I'm knocking off burning calories and getting a great lower body workout and getting my heart rate up, but I'm also in a seated flex position. So I just have to weigh that out as I look at my programming for other things. So that's how I look at it, but keep on rocking.
0: <laughs> so I'm going to take a little bit of a, a different approach to that, even though it is the same. I don't know. Anyway, um, so Crystal, here's first and foremost, like, you know, if you do any research or you've learned anything um, about you know the core itself. Obviously, it's more than just like your your um, abs, and it's all about basically your your spine. So your cervical spine, your thoracic spine, and your lumbar spine. And so when you did the overhead squat assessment, that is first of all a amazing, and B it's going to let you know what's happening in all areas of your body during movement. So during the transitional movement. So if you notice that when your arms fell forward. You really taking time to foam roll and stretch your lats is going to be extremely important because you really want to get that length back into the lat because of the insertion point in the lower back. So therefore, you're not going to end up, you know, putting yourself into an anterior pelvic tilt because of that insertion point when those also get tight or overactive, if you will. So I would say it could be a couple different things that that you're having issues with. First of all, make sure that you are thinking about. What are you activating after you foam roll your lats? Meaning I would foam roll your lats. I would statically stretch them. Did you also notice that there was a low back arch when you did your overhead squat assessment in the lateral view? And if you did, are you also stretching your hip flexors to help put your hips back into a neutral position? Because even though you just foam roll your lats, that doesn't mean that you're actually also taking, um, a lot of tension away from the origin point. So remember origin insertion. So we've got, you know, in the front of your shoulder, as well as in your lower back, you want to make sure that you're really getting the best amount of stretch that you can. But after you stretch and foam roll one overactive muscle, you need to activate the opposing sides to help that, you know, keep that newfound position into whatever joint you're trying to work on. So if, you notice that your mid to lower trap is now starting to ache that muscle. Now that you've put yourself in good position, you're probably because, you know, you probably have rounded shoulders with the backpack. You're probably putting your shoulders back into a neutral position. Your head's probably going back into a better position as well. But now you've got that backpack on and you're probably going more into a rounded position And that's causing more strain and stress in the mid to lower back. So I would strongly suggest after you roll and stretch your lats and hip flexors to then start incorporating something like, you know, uh, rows like cable rows, maybe ball Cobras or floor Cobras, you know, doing, um, anything that you can in the mid to lower back, um, section to strengthen those muscles that are usually overactive and weak. And if you do that as a combination, it's going to not only help your posture, but when you start to go on these long hikes and you do have that amount of, of stress and load on your back, that's going to start to take the pressure off. And the more that you work on core stabilization, so the, the planks, the little to no, um, joint motion exercises, so really focusing on the intervertebral stability and keeping your spine in a good position, you're going to notice that the aching is going to start to go away. You're going to be able to go further longer. You're also going to then start to, as Stuart McGill says in research, especially talking about backpacking and rucking, you start to then build almost like another muscle to help you know your erectors um, withstand that external force. So I know it's a very long winded answer. Now, you know, I didn't want to type it. <laughs> so, um, and if you guys are joining Marty Miller and I today on the master instructor Roundtable, we're talking about questions from the group. And we have talked about two questions that Liv had brought up and the question about backpacking with Crystal.
1: Love it. So let's see what else we got. Question four here. So a client says he feels tension mainly in his low back rather than hamstrings when doing RDLs what could be the culprit? So I'll go first, you know, the question from Charles here, and then I'd like to see, you know, this one can kind of go back and forth a little bit, because there's a lot to it. So first, Charles, thank you for asking the question. Then there's also, I'd like to see somebody's assessment, right? Because I would want to see how they move and see their movement patterning. Plus, I'd also like to see what other phases of training they've gone through, or what exercises they're doing prior to this. Now, RDLs, because it's not a single leg RDL, I'm assuming here we're in the strength program. So this is just an assumption I have to make. So hopefully that they would have done some single leg RDLs and other hinging patterns prior to going into maybe a traditional RDL where there's going to be weight involved. So I would want to see how they feel, what their movement patterning was, were they sore? Did they have any other issues? And again, we always have to look at previous injury as well. So you know, where you should feel an RDL, right? So, you know, feels in his low back rather than your hamstrings, you know, with that being said is, are they in a neutral spine position to begin with, right? Are they, as they're doing, this is maybe the weight a little too much. It's tipping them into an anterior pelvic tilt. As you know, we need to have somebody in a neutral position and that would even include the chin because if my chin is elevated slightly, which a lot of people do as they go into any type of, Um, deadlift, Romanian deadlift, et cetera, that's going to change the position of my pelvis. If I change the position of my pelvis, now my spine's not neutral and it could be putting more pressure on my low back. In addition, maybe they're not ready for this type of movement pattern. Maybe they haven't done enough progressions with other hinging patterns and you haven't built up that deep intrinsic core stabilization that Wendy just talked about in the previous question and going now to an RDL under load might just be too much. The other thing too, it might be that they're doing too many sets, too many reps and too much of a load. So there's a lot to that, but let's go back to the movement assessment. If this is a loaded strength based exercise, did they earn the right to get there by doing enough of these patterns unloaded and build up that muscular endurance? And do they know how to perform the exercise properly and keep by keeping that neutral position in the pelvis when they're doing their RDLs?
0: Wow. That was a lot, Marty. And that was actually pretty much all the points that I had. So as Marty was talking about, first of all, the the eye position, I don't know how many coaches have taught me when I was, you know, going through school and then really trying to look at biomechanics, focus on something on the wall and you're going to be able to lift heavier. And so I'm like, oh, okay, that's great. But when I did that and I went down again, like Marty said, when your head is elevated, the reason it changes that positioning of the, the spine is because the pelvic ocular reflex that you have where your eyes go up, your, your, your pelvis is going to adjust to that. And we don't want that. We want to maintain neutral. So that's why when we're talking about the five kinetic chain checkpoints, we always emphasize, try to make sure that your head also stays in neutral position with your spine and you know, all the way up and down the chain. Because one one thing can change the dynamic of everything. And just think if you have an anterior pelvic tilt and you have a low back arch, right? Because if your hips are going to go up and you go into a low back arch and then you actually go into that deadlift itself, you're putting excess pressure and compression on the actual erectors and the lumbar spine. And so therefore, that's why they're feeling it in their lower back one point right there if they do have a neutral position to start but they haven't really executed really good fundamental movement patterns so the sequencing of hinging and then lowering then again they can go into more of a flexed position of the spine which means they are lifting with their erectors and their lower back instead of the hamstrings and glutes which are the prime mover of a deadlift so that is usually the two main things that i see is flexion of the spine and not with not hinging correctly. And then as Marty just said, with the, with the pelvis reflex. So two things go back into look in phase one, can they execute a single leg Romanian deadlift? Can they make sure that they've got good positioning and maintain the five kinetic chain checkpoints? And do they have good core stabilization first, before you start adding movement and flexion, like flexion and extension of the spine because you're only as strong as you are stable and stabilization first is going to be extremely important. No matter if you're using a hex bar, straight bar, whatever it is that you're using, if you're going to load it, you need to be stable first.
1: Yeah, great points. And Wendy, sometimes not every exercise is for everybody. Let's say that they had previous injury and other things. They may only be able to do those hinging type of patterns in a stabilization phase, right? That, that could be something else. You know, we also have to consider the age and the where this person's at biomechanically. And then we find workarounds, which is not a problem. Mm-hmm.
0: And the acute variables too. Right? Because again, if you spent time doing the 4-2-1 tempo and you're really focusing on the eccentric portion then by the time they do a loaded Romanian deadlift or any kind of you know deadlift, as you were saying, Marty, their their body's able to withstand that because you are moving faster, but you're also moving under a heavier load. Right. That's the reason the tempo increases. And so when we talk about this model, guys, we we have it sectioned out. We like, like I'm the, I'm the one that did it. I didn't. I'm just the one that teaches it. But the reason we section it out is because we want to make sure your body can withstand the amount of. Um, you know, the amount of load we're trying to lift, especially when you get into the strength phase and that's going to be important. Then again, when you get into power and you're doing one to five, you know, repetitions of as heavy as you can into some explosive exercise in that superset. So you right. really want to think about following the system, utilizing the tempos, looking at the rep ranges. And if you're doing something without going back into phase one or two, I would strongly set, tell you lighten the load, go single leg, Make work on movement sequencing, and then go back to it and see if they feel a difference.
1: Perfect. So Wendy, key takeaways, I, I think I can speak for both of us here is, are you even aware that there's an NASM CPT Facebook page? Because a lot of these type of questions come from there or there's other ways you can get them answered. Are you following the NASM Instagram channels? There's two, there's the fitness and performance channel. Make sure you're using all your resources, then shocker, stick to the OPT model.
0: And guys, we want to say again, thank you so much for reaching out to Marty and I. We try to get back to you as soon as we can. Um, We do travel, especially you guys know it's like Marty, where's Waldo? We don't know where he's going to be from week to week. Um, I also have some upcoming travel uh, going on. So we do our best to get back to you guys as quickly as we can. And like I said, if we see the commonalities of some of these, um, you know, through email where it's not on an open uh, platform. We will often bring them into these type of um, podcasts because we want to make sure that we can go into detail first and foremost, getting both opinions, because sometimes they're the same. Most of the time they are. But we can also give you maybe some little nuggets to help you through, um, you know, working with clients or or situational things that Marty and I have both experienced in our very long careers as trainers. (laughs) So thank you guys again for doing that and keep the questions coming. And you can do that by emailing me at wendy.bats at nasm.org, or you can always find me on Instagram at wendy.bats13.
1: And my information's coming right up, doctormartymiller 72 is my Instagram, and then marty.miller at nasm.org. So, Wendy, thanks for putting this together. Thanks for, you know, finding those great questions. And for all of you out there, thanks for doing that, giving us those questions. And thank you for your time and attention today on the Master Trucker Roundtable. We look forward to seeing you next week.